Well, we are coming to the end of our sermon series on Isaiah. Finally, that's when you're supposed to jump in. Finally, we didn't look at every last verse in the book of Isaiah, but over 38 sermons, 38 weeks, we have covered the vast majority of the prophet Isaiah. And so how do you bring such a lengthy book to to a fitting close? How do you weave all of the themes of this book together and stick the landing? Storytellers will tell you of the challenge of crafting a great story and then getting to the end and like, how do I bring it all home? How do I bring all of the cool things that were part of this story and make it hit at the end? Sometimes it works like when the Marvel movies came together with Avengers Endgame and all of these moments tying together beautifully. And and sometimes it falls flat like the most recent Star Wars movie that felt so very disjointed and confusing. For Isaiah here, we have the big concern. And his big concern is how do I take the good news, the hope that I have presented, but also the bad news of judgment against sin? How do I end this book? Do I leave it on a hopeful note with the promises? Or do I leave them with a warning of the judgment to come? Or can I do both? How do I hold these two seemingly very different messages together in some way? Since that is the totality of his book. It is both good news of hope and the bad news of judgment. So, you can open up your bulletins there or your own Bibles to Isaiah chapter 66. The very last chapter of Isaiah, we'll be looking at the whole chapter today, as Isaiah tries to stick the landing of his book and bring it all together. So hear the word of the Lord, Isaiah 66, beginning in verse 1. Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. He who slaughters an ox is like one who kills a man. He who sacrifices a lamb like one who breaks a dog's neck. He who presents a grain offering like one who offers pig's blood. He who makes a memorial offering of frankincense like one who blesses an idol. These have chosen their own ways, and their soul delights in their abominations. I also will choose harsh treatment for them and bring their fears upon them. Because when I called, no one answered. When I spoke, they did not listen. But they did what was evil in my eyes and chose that in which I did not delight. Hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at his word. Your brothers who hate you and cast you out for my name's sake have said, Let the Lord be glorified that we may see your joy. But it is they who shall be put to shame. The sound of an uproar from the city, a sound from the temple, the sound of the Lord rendering recompense to his enemies. Before she was in labor, she gave birth. 
Before her pain came upon her, she delivered a son. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall a land be born in one day? Shall a nation be brought forth in one moment? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she brought forth her children. Shall I bring to the point of birth and not cause to bring forth, says the Lord? Shall I, who cause to bring forth, shut the womb, says your God? Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her, all you who love her. Rejoice with her in joy, all you who mourn over her, that you may, nur- that you may nurse and be satisfied from her consoling breast that you may drink deeply with delight from her glorious abundance. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river, and the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream. And you shall nurse, you shall be carried upon her hip and bounced upon her knees as one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. You shall see and your heart shall rejoice. Your bones shall flourish like the grass and the hand of the Lord shall be known to his servants. And he shall show indignation against his enemies. For behold, the Lord will come in fire and his chariots like the whirlwind to render his anger and fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire will the Lord enter into judgment and by his sword with all flesh. And those slain by the Lord will be many. Those who sanctify and purify themselves to go into the gardens, following one in the midst, eating pig's flesh and the abomination and mice, shall come to an end together, declares the Lord. For I know their works and their thoughts, and the time is coming to gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and shall see my glory, and I will set a sign among them, and from them I will send survivors to the nations, to Tarshish, Pul, and Lud, who draw the bow, to Tubal and Javan, to the coastlands far away that have not heard my fame or seen my glory, and they shall declare my glory among the nations." And they shall bring all your brothers from all the nations as an offering to the Lord on horses and in chariots and in litters and on mules and on dromedaries to my holy mountain Jerusalem, says the Lord. Just as the Israelites bring their grain offering in a clean vessel to the house of the Lord. And some of them also I will take for priests and for Levites, says the Lord. For as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. From new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. And they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me. For their worm shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be in abhorrence to all flesh. Amen. Let us pray. Well, Lord God, we give thanks for Your Word and we thank You for speaking to us through the prophet Isaiah. Thank You, O Lord, for using me to proclaim Your Word and we pray that You would bring things to a fitting close today. Not just with what it means for us, though that is hugely important, but how do we share such a message that Isaiah has shown us over the last 38 weeks? 
How, O Lord, do we convey this message? So, Lord, use me today to proclaim your word. Give us open hearts and minds that we would receive the word to believe it, to understand it, and to be able to share it with others as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the big question I want us thinking about as we come to the end of Isaiah is how do we share God's word in a way that conveys both judgment and hope? How do we do that? Sharing God's word is hard hard enough. Sharing it correctly ups the difficulty level a little bit. And so chapter 66 can feel a little bit disjointed. We're looking at all of it, and it's kind of like, okay, we go up and down and up and down. And, but I want us to see how Isaiah has included essentially four mini messages that show us how to convey both judgment and hope at the same time. So the first mini message can be found in verses 1 through 6, where Isaiah returns to the familiar subject of approaching the Lord rightly. The people of Judah had turned the religious practices surrounding the temple into methods that they could manipulate God. And so Isaiah warns of the judgment to come for those who are approaching God wrongly in that way. He warns not to trust in the temple or in the sacrifices they offer. It's like God doesn't need a temple. He made the heavens and the earth. What does he need a small building for? God doesn't need sacrifices. He's not hungry. Are you like thinking, oh good, I provided for God today. He's good now. No. Yes, he commanded to offer those things, to build the temple and offer the sacrifices, but because that system was meant to instruct the people in the proper humility they should have before a holy God. Instead, they were offering sacrifices like they were putting coins into a vending machine, hoping blessing would pop out. And so Isaiah says to these apparently righteous people, these have chosen their own ways and their soul delights in their abominations. I also will choose harsh treatment for them. Instead of humbling themselves before the Lord, acknowledging their sins, they chose to operate at a superficial level. And so the result was that the Lord says, they did what was evil in my eyes and chose that which I did not delight. If we approach the Lord as if he can be tricked by our outward religious actions, like, hey, I attended church every week this month, God, reward me. If we treat our relationship with God, like we can prove to him based on our outward actions that we are good. We're guilty of the same sins as the people of Judah. We fall into the trap that David spoke of in the Old Testament reading from Psalm 51. And we are faced with the holy judgment of the Lord. But Isaiah gives hope in the midst of this warning of judgment. That there are some who tremble at God's word. Instead of using God's word as like a magic ritual to get God to do what we want, they humble themselves before the word of the Lord, knowing it is the law of a holy God. God says those are the ones he will look to. Those are the ones who will not be put to shame. So if we approach the Lord humbly and tremble before his word, knowing we cannot obey it perfectly, then we are in a position to receive the promised hope of mercy and salvation. 
So in this first mini message, Isaiah conveys the very real judgment that threatens those who seek to use God. But it also conveys real hope for those who seek the Lord humbly. Both are true. Both are held together. And the language of verses 3 and 4 is presented as a choice. What will you choose? Judgment or hope? The second mini-message follows that pattern as well, presenting the choice of judgment and hope. We see it in verses 7 through 16, and it speaks about the nature of the living God. That God is a holy terror to those who will be judged. But He is a loving comfort to those who seek mercy. And to describe the loving comfort of the Lord, Isaiah uses descriptions of motherhood. It is one of the very few places in the Bible where God and motherhood is very close. But note that the Bible is extremely careful not to call God mother. That refusal to call the Lord mother is not some patriarchal relic of ancient culture. Rather, it helps us to maintain separation between God and mankind. You see, if God were mother, we could think about our relationship to God as if being in his womb or nursing from his breasts, that in some way the divine essence, the divinity of God is infused to us. But that blurs the lines between creator and creation. And so the Lord is compared to motherhood never in terms of giving birth, never in terms of nursing, but in terms of tender comfort and loving care. So Jerusalem or Zion, the city of God, is what is described as a mother here, giving birth to the future. And the Lord so works with that mother Jerusalem that he can act swiftly and decisively. So swiftly and decisively, it is as if she gives birth without a single pain. Giving birth to a child as easy as swallowing. I think that would... That seems unusual to us, I think, in experience of motherhood, yeah? But he can bring about that comfort and change so quickly that it happens instantaneously. We can think of the day that Jesus returns, that all of the sin and the evil in the world will vanish in an instant. Jesus is not going to be on a protracted battle to find and hunt down every last demon. He is not going to get in a prolonged siege with Satan until he finally gets victory. It is over for them when he returns instantaneously. And so that is our reason for comfort and hope that a day is coming when we will be nurtured and tenderly cared for in a new creation. We will rejoice and be flourishing in the Lord's blessing. And that is the hope, as verse 14 says, for the servants of the Lord. But the second half of verse 14 immediately switches from hope to judgment. The hand of the Lord shall be known to his servants. Good And he shall show his indignation against his enemies. Bad. Just like that, Isaiah has to remind God's sinful people this comfort is for those who are his servants. For those who trust in the Lord and look humbly to him for forgiveness. 
But for those who make themselves enemies of the Lord, they will receive the indignation and the fiery wrath of God for their sins, that there is no hope of comfort for them. We hear the promise of the Lord coming to judge them in fire and that many will be slain by the Lord. And so, yes, God is loving and he is a tender comforter to his people, but he is also an avenger of sin and evil against his enemies. He is both. And we must convey both. Leaving the choice to be, do you want judgment? Do you want hope? He continues in the third mini-message addressing the identity of God's true people. And Isaiah is back on this same attack against those who abuse religion for their own purposes. And he uses hyperbole in verse 14, saying that those who are trying to sanctify and purify themselves, trying to make themselves good through good works and religious rituals, that they are essentially eating unclean abominations like diseased mice. You know, now the Jews in that day were probably not actually eating mice. We'd like to think that. But their attempts to make themselves holy and clean in God's sight were no different than if they had been eating unclean abominations like that. That their efforts to make themselves clean and holy before the Lord were no more successful than if you took a pig and put lipstick on it and entered it into a beauty pageant confidently and said, here is the future champion of Miss Washington. It's not going to work. You can be as proud of it as you want, but it will not work. We cannot clean ourselves up. Those laws about clean and unclean foods helped teach holiness. They helped teach us the separation for those who were God's people and those who were not God's people. It separated the Jews from the nations. And so many Jews wrongly thought, oh, all we have to do is follow these laws and we're in. We're part of God's people. But so many people were misusing and abusing these laws of clean and unclean that that distinction line of kosher and not kosher was no longer accurate. It no longer reflected the truth of who was and was not God's people. And so the Lord announces His intention to expand the people of God to include the Gentiles. That He will send out faithful Jews to the farthest cities to share the glory of the Lord with them. So that they may come and join as brothers in the people of God coming back on all kinds of animals. Dromedaries and mules and all sorts of things. Isaiah is announcing that there is hope for those who outwardly do not seem to belong to God's people. That the Lord will make His glory known to the world and people from every nation will have access to God as if they are priests. That's what verse 21 says. See, according to Old Testament law, even if a Gentile wanted to become Jewish and join in the people of God, they were restricted to the outermost courts of the temple. They could never enter the inner courts and certainly not into the holy place of the temple. Only the priests and Levites could do that. But Isaiah says here that that intimate access to the Lord will be available to all. Not restricted to a small few. There is hope for all those who respond to the glory of the Lord and want to be His servants. 
But he's also saying that there is judgment for those who blur the distinction between who is and is not God's people. That anyone who tries to make the distinguishing marks of who belongs to God's people and who does not in external, superficial things, they will be brought to an end. If anyone trusts in their own efforts to purify themselves, it will not work. It is an abomination in God's eyes. They will find themselves cast out from the presence of the Lord. And so Isaiah says that there is hope for many who seem to be on the outside. But he warns of judgment for those who presume to be on the inside. And he holds out before us. Will it be judgment? Will it be hope? And then he closes with his fourth and final mini-message at the very end in verses 22 through 24. And they deal directly with the eternal destiny of God's people. The Lord announces that the new heavens and the new earth will remain forever and that in that renewed creation, God's people will worship Him forever. That just as Sunday keeps coming every week and the moon keeps circling around and giving us the cycle of the moon every week, those were the times they worshipped on the Sabbath and on the new moon. So we will worship in an endless cycle forever in the presence of the Lord. Now, I don't think this necessarily means that eternity will be a never-ending worship service, but it means that whatever service we have to offer in the new heavens and the new earth will be so free from our corruption of sin that it will be an act of worship to the Lord. That we can do all things for His glory. It's a beautiful, hopeful picture for Isaiah to end on. The glory of us worshiping and serving the Oh, he included verse 24. There's one more, one more verse. What does that one say? And they, the people of the Lord, shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me. For their worm shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. It doesn't have quite the same ring as and they lived happily ever after. It doesn't quite have the same, you know, oomph to it as and all God's people said, Amen. It's a, it's a reminder of judgment to end the book. Yes, there is a beautiful future promised. We have a very real hope in the Lord, but not everyone will enjoy it. All people will end up in one of two eternal destinies, and one is delighting in the presence of the Lord, and the other is suffering His holy wrath. There are those who fall down and worship before God and those who foolishly and stubbornly rebel against Him. Those are the choices. It is judgment or it is hope. And this dual message is proclaimed loud and clear throughout Isaiah and throughout all of Scripture that the Lord is holy and will judge sin in His righteousness, but He is also gracious and merciful to those who humbly seek His mercy. As one commentator writes, as far as Isaiah is concerned, judgment and hope are inseparable. They go together. There is no making them go against each other. That you cannot have one without the other because you cannot separate God's holiness from God's love. God is both. You hear many times in our world today that God is love. And we try to hold that up to the exclusion of His holiness. 
that we take God's attributes and it's like we're told, choose your three favorite and get rid of the others. We can't do that. God is presented and revealed as He is in totality. And the Lord is love. But God is also holy, holy, holy. Isaiah, back in chapter 6, when he had his vision of the Lord and his call to be a prophet, was brought into the very throne room of the Lord and in view of the overwhelming holiness of God, he falls down on his face and says, woe is me. He is overwhelmed by the sense that he deserves judgment for his sin because of the holiness of God. And yet, the Lord in his grace extends a measure of hope, sending an angel with a burning coal from the altar to touch his lips, in a sense to atone, to judge that sin and yet let him survive and be forgiven and recommissioned to be a servant of the Lord. Isaiah knows that there is judgment and hope because he knows the true and living God who is holy and loving. And so for us to convey the message that God is holy and loving, that the choices are judgment and hope, we need to know the true and living God, not the God of our own imagination, who is either only loving and will overlook any and all sins and save everyone regardless of what they believe, But we also need to shy away from the other side of God is holy and can't wait to judge all those who aren't just like me. We hold them both together. And we do so because we have a message to share that has the intertwined judgment and hope in it completely. For in the gospel, we are told that the Lord God created the heavens and the earth and he made them good. But men and women sinned against him and everything fell. And we deserve the judgment of God against our sin, for we are not holy. But the Lord sent His Son to take on human flesh and to live the perfectly holy life we could not live. And He did so in love, by loving the Lord as God and loving His neighbor as Himself. And He deserved every reward and blessing that holiness would give Him. And yet He took upon Himself the judgment we deserve the holy wrath of God upon Himself for our sins so that God could uphold His judgment in Christ and show His hope to us of forgiveness through that shed blood in our place. And that is the message we share. A message of judgment and hope. And we set it before others because it has been set before us as well. Do you see that Christ has taken the judgment for you and offers you hope? It is very real hope, but it must also be trusted and believed in. We must believe in Christ. And Isaiah leaves us with that warning of judgment to remind us there is hope, but we must choose hope. We must believe in the Lord. And we pray for the Holy Spirit to open the hearts and minds of those we share the good news with. That they would hear that choice and that the Lord would help them to choose hope and to choose to trust in Jesus Christ. And so let us pray and pray for the lost and pray that we would be good witnesses. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you, O Lord, are a God who is both holy and loving. And may we not choose one over the other, but may we hold them together and may our words be together, both judgment and hope. Not that we are judged, but that you are judged. Lord, help us to faithfully share the gospel. To not share just that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, but that Christ died for sinners. 
He had to in order for us to be saved. In order for hope to happen, there was judgment. And so may we faithfully share that. And Lord, we pray that the lost would hear, that they would have open hearts and minds to hear the good news and that they would have the hope that we have of being comforted by the Lord, of being delighted in worship, of enjoying that new creation. May that hope go to the farthest ends of the earth. But Lord, it doesn't always have to go to the farthest ends of the earth. It can just go to the next door down on the street. It can go to the next room in our house. Help us to be people sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen.